0: Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Today, uh, we will pick up the flood narrative from the beginning of chapter 8. Um, if you're following along in the Pew Bible, that's on page 11. Um, just a quick reminder of where we are God has created the heavens and earth. He placed Adam and Eve in the garden, um, gave them a few rules to live by. They failed. At those rules, they sinned against God, and he expelled them from the garden. Uh, preserved what he had called them to do, to fill and to subdue the earth, and yet made it difficult in those things. So there was pain in childbirth and difficulty in working. Uh, humanity progressed the wrong direction down the road till they're, every, till they're described as every thought being wicked only all the time. And God brought judgment upon the earth in the flood. And that is where we pick up the account today in Genesis chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And he sent a wind over the earth and the waters receded. Now the springs of the deep and the floodgates of the heavens had been closed and the rain had stopped falling from the sky The water receded steadily from the earth. At the end of the hundred and fifty days, the water had gone down. And on the seventeenth day of the seventh month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. The waters continued to recede until the tenth month. And on the first day of the tenth month, the tops of the mountains became visible. After forty days, Noah opened the window he had made in the ark and he sent out a raven and it kept flying back and forth until the water had dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove to see if the water had receded from the surface of the ground. But the dove could find no place to set its feet because there was water over all the surface of the earth. So it returned to Noah in the ark. He reached out his hand and took the dove and brought it back to himself in the ark. He waited seven more days and again sent out the dove from the ark. When the dove returned to him in the evening, there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. Then Noah knew that the water had receded from the earth. He waited seven more days, and he sent the dove out again, but this time it did not return to him. By the first day of the first month of Noah's 601st year, the water had dried up from the earth. Noah then removed the covering from the ark and saw that the surface of the ground was dry. By the 27th day of the second month, the earth was completely dry. Then God said to Noah, come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number upon it. So God came out together with his sons. So Noah came out together with his sons and his wife and his son's wives All the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds, everything that moves on the earth came out of the ark, one kind after another. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and taking some of the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of man, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, sea time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall upon all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air, upon every creature that moves along the ground and upon all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. But you must not eat meat that has lifeblood still in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal. And from each man, too, I will demand an accounting for the life of his fellow man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed For in the image of God has God made man. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth and increase upon it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth, I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you. A covenant for all generations to come. I've set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on earth. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, as we turn toward your scripture, as we turn toward this account of of your dealing with Noah and with his sons, I do ask what we have already asked today. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be ever pleasing to you, O Lord, my God, my rock and my redeemer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So you ever worked on a project, whatever it is, maybe a craft project or a woodworking project or a cooking project or a construction project, whatever it was, you got to a certain point and you realized you needed to start all over. Maybe you had forgotten the maxim on your woodworking project and you had only measured once and ended up having to cut twice instead of measuring twice and cutting once. Whatever it was, you got to the end and you, or near the end and you found that it just wasn't working out and you had to start all over kind of the, the, the description that we have here uh, in Genesis 7, 8, and 9 as God deals with creation through the flood. Now, of course, we know none of this took God by surprise. God is all-knowing. God is all-powerful. God sees all things that, have, that are, are going to happen uh, in his creation. So this didn't take God by surprise like I get taken by surprise when I try to put, a word, put something together after I've cut it incorrectly. But there is a picture of God's destruction in Genesis chapter 7 and his recreation in Genesis chapter 8. In Genesis Genesis chapter 8, verse 2, we see the wind moving across the water after God has remembered Noah and all the animals. That word for wind there is the same word translated spirit in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, God divides the waters and the sky, and he does so again in Genesis 8 verse 2. God separates the water and dry dry ground in Genesis chapter 1 verse 9 and also verses 3 through 5 of chapter 8. We see it again with the birds being placed in the sky. We see it again with the living creatures placed on the earth and called forth from the ark. God has recreated what he has destroyed after the flood so today, as we look at God dealing with Noah in this recreation, we're going to see the implications of him remembering. We're gonna see that God remembers Noah and all of creation. We're gonna see that Noah, in response to God's remembering, offers worship and praise to God. And we're going to see that in light of God's remembering and because of Noah's worship, that God will remember all of creation. So first, God remembers Noah verse 1 of chapter 8 says this but God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark now this statement this verse serves two purposes in the account of the flood and in the account of God's story of redemption as we find in the scriptures the first thing it does is it acts as a hinge between the destruction and the recreation God destroys everything with the waters of the flood. The waters come down from the sky. The waters rise up from the locker rooms of the deep and everything is destroyed. And and as the account in Genesis chapter 7 just begins to get louder and more destructive as the destruction is described in grander and grander terms until everything just comes to this loud voice of destruction, God remembers Noah. Remember, Noah and his family are there upon the ark and God remembers them and it acts as the hinge from the destruction to the recreation. But it also shows us God's action. It tells us something about God when we're told that he remembers when you and I remember. Why do we remember? Well, it's typically because we've forgotten something, have we not? It's like we're discussing a television show and we're trying to figure out, okay, who was the actor that played such and such a role in that television show? And we walk away from the conversation not being able to recall. And then at three o'clock in the morning, one of us wakes up and goes, that's who it was. We remember because we forgot, but we know God doesn't forget. So what does it mean for him to remember? It means for him to act based on promises that he has given in the past to his people. What has God said to Noah? He said, I'm going to judge the earth. I'm going to judge the earth with a flood, build an ark, get in it, and I will protect and save you and your wife and your sons and their wives. And so we here we have at the end of chapter seven, the cacophony, the loud noise of destruction and in the middle of that, God remembers Noah and everything that he took on the ark with him. And so what does God's remembering do? It causes him to dry up the, dry, the the waters. The wind comes and begins to evaporate the waters. The waters begin to retreat back into the holes in the ground. I was reading or watching a documentary several years ago about the amount of water that is on the earth. Actually, the amount of water that's under the earth. And the documentary stated that if, if all of the water below the earth were to be released above the earth, it would cover all the mountains as they are today, even Mount Everest. So God pulled the waters back to where they had been in the sky and also below the ground. God reestablished plant life on the earth. We talk about how after all this destruction, was there an olive branch for the dove to pluck? or an olive leaf, actually, it's just a leaf, it's not a branch. Uh, olive trees have the ability to plant themselves just from a broken limb. Um, who was I talking to the other day that had had uh, planted gardenias? It was Judy at Central Services. She's taken gardenia trimmings from her mother's gardenia bushes, and she has... Uh, Stuck them into dirt and they have given their own root system and they have grown up. Olive trees are very much the same way. God provided plant life even in the midst of the storm, even in the midst of the receding of the waters. God reestablished plant life upon the earth. God settled the ark gently upon the mountains of Ararat. Now, in the original language, that is actually very vague language. There is a Mount Ararat in north It's it eastern Turkey, I believe it is. But this is more of a regional title than it is a specific mountain. There's a whole bunch of mountains in that northeastern area of Turkey near Lake Van. And so it could have been anywhere in that corner between Turkey and Russia and all those stands that are over in that area. God rests them safely upon the mountain. Then God dries out the land so that they can leave the ark. And then God calls them from the ark. And so God acted to preserve Noah and his family in the midst of the flood, and God also remembered them by acting to reestablish them in the new creation, if you will. So, how does Noah respond? God has remembered Noah, God has acted on Noah's behalf. What does Noah do? Well, he does three things. First, he waits. On God. Now think of this. You look out of the window on the ark and you see that the land appears to be dry. There's two words used there for dry ground. One is translated completely dry and the other one is kind of translated it looked like it was dry or something along those lines. Have you ever been walking through a swamp and you think that one patch of land where you're getting ready to step your foot on looks like a nice piece of dry ground and you sink to your knees? in mud. It's kind of the picture that we have there. It's not very pretty, but Noah looks out and he sees dry ground or what appears to be dry ground. And think about this for just a minute. You've been cramped in a large box, but in a box for a year. You can't walk outside. You've got one window more than likely to look out the way the description is there. And you've been stuck with seven other people. Now, granted, this is a large box, probably much larger than even this building that we're in here. It had three floors, and yeah, you could go several places, but you've been stuck in a box with seven other people, and they've been stuck with you. It was smelly. There were animals in there, and animals process food, just like humans process food. These are still sinful human beings that are trying to live together in an enclosed quarter, What would you want to do the first time you saw dry land? Man, I am out of here. But Noah waited. Noah waited another seven days on God to say, okay, now it's time to leave. Now it's safe for you to leave. The second thing Noah does is he obeys God when God calls him out of the boat. As bad as it was inside the ark, can you imagine what it looked like outside? Everything's been underwater for 150 days. Trees have been uprooted. Animals and humans have been killed. And yes, we know that due to the tumbling of the waters and the tumbling of the dirt that most of those dead animals and dead humans were buried. That's where we get our fossil record today. But think of the destruction. Think of the destruction with our flood a year ago. Can you imagine that on a global scale? And not only did the waters tumble as they sat there for 150 days, but they rushed off. Noah walked out into that destruction. Noah walked out into that bomb going off, if you will, of the world around him. And he trusted God enough to obey and to leave. But the most important thing that Noah did was he responded to God's saving of him and his family by worshiping God. What's the first thing Noah does when he gets off the ark? He builds an altar and he offers a burnt offering That's language there that the Israelites that Moses would have been writing this account to. It's language that they would have connected with the book of Leviticus because burnt offering is that offering of atonement. It's the offering of that covering of sin. Noah walks out of the ark. He sees the destruction of God's judgment. He thinks of his own life. He thinks of his family's life. And he says, there has got to be a covering for our sin because this is what God does to sinful humanity. He judges and so he offers this offering, the sacrifice of atonement. He worships God. So Noah has responded to God's remembering with worship. And now God responds to Noah's worship with more remembering. But he doesn't just remember Noah. He remembers all of humanity and all of creation. It's not a past remembering. It is a future remembering. God responds to Noah's sacrifice with a covenant with all of humanity. He says, never again will I destroy the earth in this way. It's not dependent upon us, not dependent upon our obedience. God will never again destroy the earth with floodwaters. We can we can see the waters of a flood And know that it has boundaries, it has limits, that God is not going to destroy that way ever again. He's going to have grace even in the midst of those floods. We can see the rains come down and have assurance that God is not going to destroy this earth through flooding, and it has nothing to do with whether I obey Him or not. It's because He has made the covenant with all of humanity and with all of creation. And there's three things we need to see about this covenant. The first thing we need to see is that never, never again will I destroy the earth is qualified by 822 as long as the earth endures. We had a prediction come out over the last couple weeks that yesterday was the end of the world. Apparently we missed it because we're here. But the earth does have an expiration date. We don't know what it is. That's God's business it's God's knowledge and frankly it's it's above our pay grade but the earth does have an expiration date and it will be destroyed it will be purged it will be cleansed by fire but until that day comes God will never again destroy by a flood destroy the entire earth by a flood second thing we learn is that God gives a sign God gives reminders of what he will remember the rainbow is the main sign that he gives. Do you know that any time it rains, if the sun is shining somewhere, there's a rainbow. You might not be at the right angle. You might not be at the right altitude. The sun for where the sun is in the sky. But every time it rains and the sun is shining, there is a rainbow. Now, there's no rainbow at night because for us, if it rains here at night, there's no sun shining. So God gives some other signs and symbols to remind us of his remembering. We prayed for several of these today. The sun came up this morning, did it not? We prayed for the glorious sunrise this morning. God's faithful. That's what it says here in Genesis eight twenty-two. Day and night. It's going to be cool later this week, is it not? And that's going to remind us that summer is almost over. Technically, it is. It ended on the 22nd. Fall started. But you know the fact that fall follows summer and winter follows fall. I know you guys don't want to hear that quite yet, that winter is coming. But that means that God is faithful. It means that God remembers. Springtime and hardest, cold and heat, all the rhythms of life remind us that God remembers and will remember. And the third thing we know about this covenant is that God does understand humanity. Nothing's changed. The seed of the serpent, the physical seed of the serpent, is gone. The line of Cain has been destroyed in the flood and all that is left is the line of Seth, the seed of the woman. But we're going to find out as we progress that the seed of the serpent shows up in the heart, not merely in the genetics. And what we see is that God understands that this covenant is given even though the truth of Genesis 6, that every inclination of the thought of man is only evil all the time, even though that's still true. Even though man's every thought is evil from childhood, from birth, even though that is true, God puts this in. So he does put some limits on humanity. He expands uh, the food kingdom for humanity. He gives them meat to eat, um, but he puts a limit on that. He says, hey, I'm going to give you meat to eat, but you have to be responsible with what you eat. And with what you kill, you don't just kill for fun or you kill for sport because I'm going to give an account. You're going to have to give an account for everything that you do. Hunting, as long as you feed your family, is fine. Trophy hunting, God's got a problem with. But he also seeks to preserve humanity. He reminds us that we are the image of God and that we will have to give an account for how we have treated that image of God. If you take a life of a brother in in premeditated murder, your life is forfeit as well because that person is the image of God. And as John Calvin says, no one can be injurious to his brother without wounding God himself. This is the basis for capital punishment. The basis for capital punishment is not merely deterrence. The basis of capital punishment is grounded in the fact that you and I are the image of God. And when this image, as marred, as hidden as it is by sin, when this image is attacked, God is attacked. And God takes that seriously. And so human life is sacred. Human life has sanctity, as we say. But we won't just give an account for whether or not we murdered somebody. I've never murdered anybody. Thanks be to God. But Jesus says, it's not just what you do with your hands, it's what you do with your words and with your heart. We'll have to give an account for our words against our brothers and sisters. We'll have to give an account for our actions towards our brothers and sisters, even if they weren't physically injurious. Even if they didn't bring physical harm, the things that we do to bring mental and spiritual harm, we will be held account for. Because every human being is created in the image of God. When we hurt them, we hurt God. God promises to preserve life. God promises to remember. God promises that he will remember humanity until the earth ends. God remembered Noah. Noah worshiped God and God will remember all of humanity. This was not the first covenant that God made with humanity. It's the first time the word covenant is used in scripture, but it's not the first covenant that God makes with humanity. And it wasn't the last either. He made a covenant with Abraham to call him apart and to bless all the nations and to rescue Abraham's descendants when they were in slavery in Egypt. He made a covenant with Moses and the nation to give them the land if they obeyed the law. He made a covenant with David to provide a king on the throne forever. But in Jeremiah, he talks of a different covenant. Jeremiah takes this language here from 822. Day and night will never cease. And God, through Jeremiah, says in Jeremiah 33, verses 20 and 25, he says, if humanity can break my covenant, God's covenant with the day, God's covenant with the sun, then God will break his covenant to save his people. What does that mean? That means if humanity can make the sun stop rising in the morning, if humanity can make the earth stop turning so that the sun does not rise anymore, God will stop saving his people. But Jeremiah, God through Jeremiah also takes that covenant and he says it's not just a covenant of following the law, but it's a covenant of writing the law. And that law is written upon our hearts. That heart of stone that Ezekiel says is removed by the spirit of God and replaced with the heart of flesh that has the law of God written upon it. So that instead of being hostile to the law of God, we are sympathetic to the law of God. We seek, we try to live by the law of God, even though we fail. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are able to be sympathetic to the law of God. And every covenant has a sign. The covenant Abraham had the sign of circumcision. The covenant with Moses had the sign of the temple, as well as other things. The covenant with David had the sign and the symbol of the throne. Jesus says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. How can we have hope? How can we have trust in God's promise to save and to write his law upon our hearts is because Christ lived the perfect life keeping the law we could not keep so that God might show grace to us as he poured his judgment out upon Christ but can we keep trust God to keep his end of the bargain because we know we're going to fail on ours and the answer is a resounding yes when we hear promises, believe and be baptized and you will be saved, or believe and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead and thou shalt be saved, do we trust God? When we hear promises, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail, do we trust those words? Can we trust those words? And once again, the answer is a resounding yes. God promised Noah that he would save him and his family from the flood, and he remembered Noah. God promised Abraham that he would have descendants that would outnumber the stars in the sky and that he would be a blessing to all nations, and he remembered Abraham. God promised Israel that he would bring them out of Egypt and out of slavery and take them to the promised land, and God remembered Israel. He promised David that there would be a man upon the throne of David forever and he remembered David. He promised us that salvation would come through the renewal of the hearts and he remembered us in Jesus Christ. We can trust God to remember people because we have a record, we have historical documents that says that God has remembered his people throughout history. He will remember us He will remember you in those promises that you may be clinging to so tightly right now that you just don't know where you are in life. He remembers you. And even when we forget Him in the good times, He remembers us and has acted upon and will act upon our behalf. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Holy Father, thank you for remembering Noah so that we know that you remember us. Thank you for the promises in your word. Thank you for the covenant that is marked in the cup of his blood. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.